Shameless Picture Show is part of the Cinepunks Network. If you like the Shameless Picture Show and you want to hear other great shows like it, make sure you check out the Cinepunks Network. You can find them at www.cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. There's other great shows such as Cinepunks. There's the Carnage Report, Cinema Smorgasbord, Fat Girl Hacks, Loud Fast Philly, Tomb of Ideas, and Twitch of the Death Nerve, and so much more. If you like punk rock and you like movies, make sure to go to www.cinepunks.com. And let's not forget the sponsors for the Cinepunks Network. We have the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. They are the premier screen printer of the Lehigh Valley with service to the whole country, professional and personable in a way that only a DIY business can be. They also have ridiculously low prices for whatever your screen printing needs may be. You can visit them online at xlvacx.com. That's xlvacx.com. Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. We also have the Essex Coffee Roasters. They're, all their coffee is roasted to order. They have high-quality beans, bunch of apparel, and tea available. They are bringing high-quality coffee to the masses without the pretentiousness. Use the code CINEPUNKS for 10% off your first order. You can visit them at www.essexcoffeeroasters.com. That's E-S-S-E-X, coffeeroasters.com. Once again, use the code CINEPUNKS for 10% off your first order. Big shout out to the band Crossed Keys uh, for lending us that awesome fucking music during our little ad. That song is called Who We Never Were. You can buy that single currently off of Bandcamp. The band is called Crossed Keys. It will be on their full-length album, Believes in You. Uh, that song was lent to me by Crossed Keys, specifically, uh, I don't know if he goes by Joey Angel or goes by Joshua Alvarez, but I met him as Joshua Alvarez. He's the co-host of Cinepunks, our fucking network. And I told him, I love this song, I want to use it, so that way people don't have to just listen to me talk. And he said, fuck yeah. So please, if you like the song, uh, the song is called Who We Never Were. You can get that on Bandcamp currently. Uh, it's off of their album Believes in You. You can get the 10 song. The 10 song LP is out May 5th, Friday, May 5th. Uh, you can actually order it on vinyl right now. So go show them some love. Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS, and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, but they do. I'm looking at you, corpse grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label, 
and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning, and we love them for it. Check out their website today and pick up your copies of Rudy Ray Moore's Dolomite films, just in time for the new Netflix movie Dolomite Is My Name, starring Eddie Murphy. Also available is Hell Comes to Frogtown, starring Rowdy Rowdy Piper, James Hong's The Vineyard, Pledge Night, Lust in the Dust, starring Divine, Putney Swope, The Amityville Cursed Collection, and much, much more. Also, don't forget to pre-order your copy of Tammy and the T-Rex in glorious 4K Ultra High Definition, or Blu-ray, and The Angel Collection. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am your host, Michael Byers, and today I have a very special guest joining me. Our guest today is a man of many talents. He's a film critic, a physical media enthusiast, a supporter of independent film, a YouTuber, and a podcaster. He's the host of The Spoiler Room, It's Vinally Mine, The Final Cut, and many more, <laughs> yes. Mark Krofcheck. Hello. How are you doing, sir? Happy to be I'm here. I'm doing pretty... I was, try, I was trying to see if I could find a definitive list of all the shows that you did, you do, and I couldn't find, <laughs> I couldn't find it all. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't pick one lane, which is probably why my channel is actually at where it's at. You know, most channels, when they pick a focus, that's what they focus on. And me, with the way my brain works, I can't. I have too many ideas that i just explore and it's like it is what it is honestly i feel the same way just be like i i feel like i have so many interests and i'm there's times i'm actually jealous of some of the people who can just pick one thing you know whether mm-hmm. they're they're deep diving on a movie or there's just people out there who just do physical media but in my mind i need to off like i need to like offset <laughs> it by doing other things as well because it's like Cause I was thinking about it this way: no one, I, no one would have let me do physical media reviews if it wasn't for this show. Mm-hmm. So it's like I feel like I need to do multiple things, and <laughs> you, you do spread when, myself when, too thin. When you're a small, when you're a smaller channel, you you got to do what you can. So or a smaller podcast, you do what you can, and you do it because you love it. Um, you know, that's yeah. that people ask me occasionally. I'll get people asking advice. You know, uh, uh, folks who are just starting out or whatnot. And I'm like, I'm the last person you really should ask advice because I never play the game right. But I'm just like, at this point where we're at in the whole YouTube podcast review averse, do it because you love it. Because there is yeah. so much, so much out there. First, do it because you love it, and then. You know, if you want to grow your audience, there's ways you can do it. I don't play that game, but there's a lot of ways you can do it. But for me, I just enjoy talking with my friends like you about movies and posting it. And if people like watching that, yeah, more power to them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's been it for me too. And like, I try to like cross pollinate to all these different. I haven't, I haven't quite started getting to putting stuff on YouTube yet because the only videos I do are like my tiktok stuff but uh um, which is now the big which is the big thing now it's like 
long form used to be where it's at, and now everybody's on TikTok. And it's funny, when I started doing movie reviews on TikTok, I hadn't seen too many. And then after I started doing them, suddenly I, I noticed everybody started doing them. <laughs> like even the big name guys, you know, on YouTube, they were doing them. Because YouTube, when you post it on YouTube, it then includes it as a YouTube short. So even though you do it on TikTok, if you take that same video and post it on YouTube and it's less than a minute or it's less than a certain amount of time, it'll automatically categorize it as a YouTube short and put it in the algorithm for YouTube shorts. So it's it's funny to me though. Like I one thing I've noticed is one, I've noticed like the big YouTube guys, they'll be going to TikTok, but they'll just do like a really poor cropped version <laughs> of their longer video, which always just looks really funny to me. Uh but then I've been getting like notifications. I, I do a lot of my just just to save on time, I do a lot of my my TikTok editing in the TikTok app because it's oh, sure. a surprisingly decent editor. For all things considered, sure, sure. Um, I used to like just shoot it myself and then cut it and then like go back and, and I just found us. I was actually just spending more time doing that. <laughs> and then what I uh, so I just started doing everything right in the TikTok app. But because of that, I don't have original versions of my videos that don't have a TikTok watermark. Oh yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, every yeah. time I post something to like Instagram, they're always like. You know, you're you're not going to get as many views because this has a watermark on it. It's like, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Is what it is. The joys of social media. Exactly. But I'm sure you've noticed, too, over, like, sometimes you, you, the, like, I'll post something onto TikTok and, you know, I'll get nothing. I'll get, like, 20 views. And then I'll I'll just cross post it to Instagram, which then posts to Facebook, and it'll get, like, 500 views somewhere else. I'm like, how the fuck? (laughs) Did that happen? I've got I've got videos that I posted on TikTok first, and then I posted on YouTube the next day, or or a few hours later. I like the same night I'll post them, and the you the, the TikTok will get fifty, and the YouTube will have like five hundred. And I'm, I'm like, what? yeah, what what I what is this? You know, so. It doesn't. It makes no sense to me. I, I, I. That's why I don't say I play the game because I don't, I don't look enough into the algorithms and the way things are. And there's lots of courses and lots of things you can do to get your stuff out there. For me, this is my hobby. I have a full time job, as, yeah. as you know how it is. I've, I've got the family and stuff. So it's like for me, it's like what I can do. I'm happy with. <laughs> And what I yeah, get, no, and what I get is is fine with me. You know, I'm not trying to blow up. You know, I, for me, it's just like so. I I do physical media reviews, and I've I've been lucky enough where people send me stuff, mm-hmm. and I just want to get enough views to make them happy. Yeah. you know, I'm not trying to like <laughs> become like some big personality or something. I just want to get enough views where it makes them feel like they didn't waste money sending me stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it's a write-off that's for my, them anyway. That's my goal. I just got this one. That's I got I got a review. So the 4K of Shazam, I just got this to review. Uh, so right on. Yeah, and I just I so just you... just reviewed the Superman five disc set collection, the 4K uh, set. That was interesting. Been doing that over at YouTube. Yeah, that's that's up on YouTube. I just I did it all in, in one video. It wasn't that long because as you go mm-hmm. from Superman one to Superman four. The features get less and less to where Superman 4 has this weird, bizarre Superman 50th anniversary special that was hosted by Dana Carvey, of all people. And it's got okay. like it's got like the uh, some of the SNL cast from 
that time period, which is like this was like in eighty eight or ninety or something. Anyway, and they're doing the fiftieth anniversary special, but they're doing it kind of like a comedy sketch. So someone's playing the mayor of Metropolis, and so it it was weird. I'm like, <laughs> like whose idea was and I, this? I love out of all the stuff that gets lost in the vaults. Some someone kept. A copy of that. Oh yeah. Uh, no, yeah. for me currently, I'm 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 working through doing reviews of the entire Transformers franchise. Ooh. And more power to you, sir. Like, <laughs> so, I, well, I actually like the franchise, warts and all, and, there, and trust me, there's definitely some warts there, but uh, it's. Yeah. It's one of those things. So I, I usually been breaking my videos up into two. I've been doing one where I just talk about what I think about the movie, and then the other one for the for the odd, for the AV nerds out there, I just talk about picture quality and sound quality. Sure, sure. I'm eventually going to get to the point where like my the second video is going to become shorter and shorter because <laughs> say what you want about the Transformers films, they they consistently look and sound good. Like, well, yeah, there's that's, only that's so what, much I could talk about. There's there's nothing say that they don't look. You know, they're not shot well, and they don't look well, and the effects aren't bad for Bayformers. It's just, you know, I think if it was starting out, like, it, there were no Transformers before the Bayformers movie, I think it would have been a lot better. But the fact that they did what they did, and it was like, who's your target audience? Because the changes you made and stuff were just like, you know, whereas you look at Bumblebee and you look at the first opening 10 minutes of Bumblebee and everybody in my generation went that that's what we wanted right there. That right there is what we which wanted. is one of the few ones that I've not seen. So really? Like, oh, but I'm getting to it. Dude, yeah, dude, Bumblebee, the first 10, 15 minutes of that where they're doing the Cybertron thing. That was like everybody I know who watched that going. Why couldn't have they done that? <laughs> because it was it was exactly what we had hoped for. It was like that's why I really enjoy Bumblebee, though in some weird convoluted way, it's kind of in the same universe as Bayformers or a universe adjacent. I heard some description because of Rise of the Beasts coming out now that it, it's like it's some kind of with the timeline. It's like adjacent to the Bayformers. Like it's technically part of that universe, but not, I, I don't know. They're, they're pulling some fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, stuff on it <laughs> to where, you know, where you don't even try to figure out the timeline on that. one. <laughs> my, my whole defense of the Transformers franchise has been mm. in a world where we have just excessive uh, Marvel sequel after Marvel sequel that mean less and less. And, Ten fucking Fast and the Furious movies. Yes, I think there's still a place for Transformers. <laughs> I love my. I love. I want my. I want my Fast and Furious Transformers crossover. I don't care. I would love. Oh yes, my god. Same. I don't even like the Fast and the Furious movies that much, but I would enjoy <laughs> the hell out of that. But dude, man, I love. I fully. And it's funny because I've seen the the criticism about Fast and Furious, especially Fast X, which I highly recommend. If nothing else, to see Jason Momoa play a bad guy like off 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 the hill like like burying the needle to 11 bad guy momoa is enjoying playing a psycho just having a, just having a three course meal of the scenery <laughs> he is he chews up every scene because he never gets <laughs> to play a bad guy so he's like just 
eating it uh, more than eating it up. He's getting seconds and whatever. But you know, I saw someone really kind of rip on the Fast X film and like, how can you people like? And I'm like, fans of the Fast and Furious films by this point fully acknowledge these films are not great films as far as if you want to talk about putting them up against like classic films in that. But if you want to talk about entertaining escapism to where you just turn your brain off, eat your popcorn and watch some crazy stunts like a muscle car, take out two helicopters. There you go. (laughs) And that right there is exactly how I feel about the Transformers films. It's like, these aren't very good, (laughs) Um, but there's been in, in all three films, specifically the second and third one, there were times where my fucking jaw was just on the ground. It's like, this is the goriest movie with no gore that I've ever seen. And it's just over the top and, insanity part two is um, rough part two is rough for me to get through yeah I, that, but the, however that last 40 minutes were were oh, solid like it's just they a were lot of fun. you just gotta get you gotta get through but the you gotta two get hours. everything out <laughs> though i do have to say after the third one like I, everyone shits on megan fox megan fox is a breath of fresh air compared to that girl they got in the third oh one. no no megan he he totally screwed up rather than shia LaBeouf, and i saw a post about it they're like yeah, instead of taking the teenage gearhead who can fix a car blindfolded, rebuild a manifold, and do all of this, instead of her being the hero, we focus on the dweeby nerd guy who <laughs> can't do squat and just does nothing yeah. but whine. I'm like, they should have made Megan Fox the 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 hero and not w- Wiki. Um, you know, I completely agree. I would have. I I would be completely for. If they brought back Megan Fox's character for Transformers well, it, sequel, just made it, her the lead, and it make it made sense because she was the gearhead. She should have been the one who was, you know, and he be the side kick, you know. But is mm-hmm. what it is. Uh, it was Bayformers. I it, it's tough because I like the robot parts of of Bayformers. I really do. It's just some of the decisions they make in the stories for those films. Yep. I'm like it, it a couple of those sequels they took themselves a little too seriously like someone was writing this going, "Oh man, this is some really good stuff right here." And then you watch it and you're just like, "Okay, to hear anyone say the words the matrix of leadership and say it with an <laughs> earnestness, I'm like, "What? No. <laughs> you can't make that serious. You can't make that serious." Or and the, it's what makes it what's great too is each actor in those in those franchises are all in a different movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like I, I, Sam's, I have... Sam's parents are in a completely different movie than he is. Uh, John Turturro is in a completely different movie than everyone else. It's I, like they're I all just. It, <laughs> I don't think John Turturro is realizes he's even in a movie in that franchise. <laughs> he's like no. on some bender. In front of the cameras, it's, it's it's actually the way I described uh, um, uh, Adam Driver's performance in the Star Wars, in the new Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> is he is performing a completely different version of Kylo Ren than what's written there, <laughs> and they're polar opposites of each other, and that's kind of the reason why he's the best thing about those movies. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't fault anyone for liking what you like. Don't get me wrong; it's just yeah. for me personally, it was like. The Transformers, it, 
a lot of those, a lot of their movies too, they either start off strong or have a part that I really enjoy, and then they just crap the bed for me again. You know, like um, and they're just too it, damn long. And this is coming oh, from a guy who's a fan. That, they're just too damn long. That is definitely the case. They don't need to be that long. Uh, you know, uh, for what they do, if it was constant action, like the Fast and Furious, okay, Fast X. Is over two hours long. Let me tell you, it doesn't feel over two hours long because you go from action set piece to action set piece in that film. You you get a little time to breathe in between, but not a whole lot. Whereas uh, yeah. Transformers, you know, you get these long periods like the last one. I would have actually enjoyed the last one had they cut out the medieval part in the very beginning, which made the very... I have no idea what they were doing there. I'm just like, really? Really? And they cut it down a bit. I would have liked it, except for the ending. Earth is not the planet eater robot. Okay? No. 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 <laughs> that is not how that so, works. <laughs> can, can I make a guess? I'm going to make a guess, because you, you see everything when it comes out, for the most part. I try to. Uh, I, I have a feeling to. you're going to you're gonna. I have a feeling you're going to probably go see the new one. Yes, uh, yes, uh, Rise of the possibly. Beast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a feeling you're going to enjoy your nachos more. Than <laughs> <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see. We'll see because Rise of the Beast is supposed to be a sequel set in the Bumblebee universe, not Bayformers. But that, this is where I was like, they've talked about Rise of the Beast to where it's... It, it kind of supposed to bring them together, and I have no idea how, so I, I have to wait till the movie. But you know, um, as long as I don't, know, as long as I'm entertained, and that's the thing with a, a, most of the other Bayformers films is that I I found entertainment, but as you mentioned, they just go too long for what they are. I'm like, it, it's and some of it is just it's like, man, I understand changes. Don't get me wrong, I'm not like gatekeeping or anything but there's just some things to where i'm just like no 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 sound wave is not a big satellite <laughs> in, in, in orbiting earth okay no no <laughs> that's just that's no uh, <laughs> but uh... I saw before, and we'll move on to uh, our topic here in a sure, second. Sure. But I did see a a quote on Letterbox that really amused me. Which it's, it's describing Michael Bay's extreme auteurism, which I love when people talk about Michael Bay the auteur because it just really pisses off film theory people. <laughs> uh, but someone said if, if Terrence Malick is a filmmaker who's trying to use film to make get himself closer to humanity, Michael Bay is using film to distance himself from it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's about right. The the last thing I'll say about Michael Bay, and I don't know if this is an actual quote from him, mm. but I have chosen to believe that it is. Uh, a friend of mine uh, who's a cinematographer told sure. me that uh, he said one time that he heard a quote from Michael Bay who said that uh, um, art film is like masturbation. It's not fun for anyone but you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if that was Michael Bay, but I can see that being Michael Bay. <laughs> In my my very very long career of just watching movies, just because I love movies so damn much, 
I will agree there's some movies out there to where the filmmaker is just, yeah, people had to leave him alone with the footage because he was just, he was enjoying it too much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on Uh, that note of trying to find a way to mix, to talk about both uh, uh, big budget action films and art films. Speaking of movies where the, never mind. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) on today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show, we are crossing something off Mark's Shameless, and it actually happens to not only be one of my favorite films of 2011, but one of my top five films of all time. We have Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive. It was at this this moment when Mark realized he may have to leave the show. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's fine. (laughs) The driver is a part-time mechanic and stunt double by day, but at night he's a getaway driver for low-level criminals. Shannon, the owner of the auto body shop driver works at, is the driver's de facto manager. Shannon uh, helps the driver find stunt gigs, cars repair, and criminals who need a talented driver. Shannon sees the talent in the driver and yearns for a world in which he can go legitimate. Shannon wants the driver to drive a stock car, which is being funded by a gangster known as Bernie Rose. All is going well until the driver meets Irene and her son Benicio. He's instantly smitten, but Irene's husband's standard has just gotten out of prison and owes some powerful people a lot of money. The driver wants what's best for Irene and Benicio and agrees to help standard pay his debt. However, this just leads the driver down a dark path that he may never come out from. Will he drive off into the sunset with the family he yearns for, or will, or will he die like a criminal? Based on the novel Drive, written by James Salas, Drive is a neon-drenched crime film with a pulsating synthwave score that pulls inspiration from the works of Michael Mann and arthouse filmmakers such as Alejandro Jodorowsky. Gosling has been attached to the, was attached to this film pretty early on in, during its... Um, Inception, and uh, when producers Mark Platt and Adam Siegel approached him thinking this could be a perfect film for him, especially since he hadn't made a movie like this yet. Gosling, uh, because he agreed to sign on for the film, had a say in who would direct, and Gosling chose Danish filmmaker Nicholas Winding Refn. Legend has it that Refn took the script, written by Hussein, uh, Hussein Amani, and made significant changes to it, notably cutting out any unneeded piece of dialogue and making the script as bare bones as possible. Drive would go on to be a big hit for Refn, Gosling, and all involved. While some audience members felt the film wasn't enough like a Fast and the Furious film, critics found themselves gravitating to the film's more arthouse vision of an action film, the film's more lyrical, poetic pacing, and its existential themes. Drive would also have its world premiere at the 2011 Cannes Film Festival, where it received a standing ovation and Refn won the festival's Best Director Award. Drive stars Ryan Gosling, Carey Mulligan, Brian Cranston, Oscar Isaac, Ron Perlman, Christina Hendricks, and Albert Brooks as Bernie Rose. Written by Hussein Amani, based on James Salas' novel by the same name, with cinematography by Newton Thomas Siegel, and music by Cliff Martinez. From 2011, from Nicholas Winding Refn, this is Drive. If I drive for you, you give me a time and a place, I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes, and I'm yours, no matter what. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. So you just moved to LA? No, I've been here for a while. What do you do? I drive for movies. Is that dangerous? It's only part-time. You put this kid behind the wheel. There's nothing he can't do. Kid, I want you to meet Mr. Bernie Rose. My hands are a little dirty. 
So am I. My husband is coming home. Where is he? He's in prison. There's some guys that want me to do a job for him, and I'm not going to do it. What is that you got there? One of those men gave you that? What's the job? When you get your money, his debt's paid. You never go near his family again. <gasps> Did you have any idea there'd be a second car? He said there'd be another car to hold us up. Whose money do I have? I'm gonna tell you something. Anybody finds out we're both dead. That's why this driver's gotta go, Bernie. He's gotta go. Any dreams you have or plans for your future, I think you're going to have to put that on hold. For the rest of your life, you're going to be looking over your shoulder. It's interesting, the power of editing, where that, it was, you know, that's the exa- everything that happens in the film you saw in the trailer, but it's presented in a very different way than what is presented to you in the movie. Uh, which is why a woman from Michigan tried suing the studio. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you heard this story, but no. back when this movie came out, the and I think there might have been an even more action-packed trailer than that one, where mm-hmm. they made the movie look like a Fast and the Furious-type action film, and she went to go see it and was pissed off that that was not the movie she got. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh. And tried to sue them unsuccessfully. Yeah, that's not the first time someone tried to sue a movie studio for a trailer the way it's cut for what they expected versus what they've got. So it's not the first time. doesn't surprise me, but I'm actually, I'm actually what, I, what surprises me is I'm surprised that this, that you hadn't seen this movie up until now, considering it was, uh, uh, back in 2011, it was a pretty big deal. It was, but <laughs> for some reason, especially when the YouTube reviewer verse explodes about a film, it, I, I take a step back and I, don't get that. watch it. Um, and I don't know exactly I why. I, I actually didn't, I didn't know the YouTube review first exploded over this movie. Not, well, not because I wasn't really watching much YouTube at the time, yeah. but I, I I feel like I've met more people who hate this movie than I, anything, I, so I'm surprised. I should say explode as in it was constantly talked about for a while online and in movie, and it's mm. like certain crowds just thought it was like, this film is amazing. You know, everybody talked about it for quite some time. And then, yeah, it. I was like that with La La Land, too. Go figure, Ryan Gosling. There might be a common theme here. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, Gosling. I held off for a long time. And in my review, I mentioned one time is I'm like, I shouldn't be watching a movie and going, wow, Ryan Gosling has small ears. Uh, you know, I just shouldn't be <laughs> see these things. But, you know, and it's. Yeah, I I just this is one of those where it was on my list, but I was in no real hurry to watch it. And after a while, dust settled it. a bit, 
And it it come up occasionally in conversation, and I'd say, no, I haven't seen it. People seem kind of surprised, but then they just left it at that, you know. And, and here we are now, what twelve years later, um, and and now it still gets talked about. But like you said, there's there's more people that I feel that are more critical about the film now than when it first came out. Um, you know, I. It just for me, it was just one of those things where it's on the list, but it was never really that high on the list. And I ended up buying it digitally because it was only a buck more than renting it. So, <laughs> so I bought it digitally Man, from that's Amazon. That's a good investment because it was like it was like for the 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 HD version, it was three ninety nine to rent or four ninety nine to buy. And I'm like, ah, fuck. okay, well, here, you know, <laughs> I get it for four ninety nine because I may want to revisit it at some point um but yeah, yeah it just you know it's one of those things to where it was always on the list but never got it never just got around to watching it so that when you mentioned about a show i'm like yeah perfect time it is a shameless because everybody i know has seen this film but me <laughs> yeah and so you know i i feel like you you, you kind of buried the weed a little bit at the beginning but uh, what did you think of Drive after your, your first viewing? It was good. I wasn't blown away by it, but I, I did enjoy it. I. It's nothing against him, okay? Nothing against the performer whatsoever. He's a very talented individual. But I, I just, Ryan Gosling's one of those actors that's a hard sell for me. I, I'm not sure mm-hmm. why. Um, and, you know, with him being the lead, uh, there's parts where I really enjoy his character. And I don't know if it's the writing or the way he plays it. I mean, first off, he constantly has a smirk. Okay, like, like constantly. Has a, even, when yeah. he's, even when he's trying to be badass and scary, he's got a little smirk. I think it's just natural. But for me, I just like... I So... That's just I, how his face looks, Mark. Right, I know, but for just for me personally, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is, but I, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more when it picked up and it got into the, the money thing and and when um, Oscar Isaac's character showed up, a standard. Which I uh, forgot he was in this because huh? he just looks so... Di- I forgot Oscar Isaac was in this because... With the the shaved head and the beard, he just looks so different than how I'm used to seeing him now. <laughs> he he does look different, um, but you know when he shows up, that's where I I enjoy the film a little bit more because up until then, excuse me, even the whole relationship between him and uh, between Driver and Irene, played by Carrie Mulligan, I I did not. I'm just like wow. I'm like. This this is, I know time has passed, but it's not exactly conveyed very well that there's time passed mm-hmm. in their relationship. So it seems awfully damn quick that suddenly they're getting these feelings for each other, you know. And but when Oscar Isaac's character, when Standard shows up, then it gets interesting. Though I did see the twist of 
who the gangster that he owes money to is involved in. I saw that coming a mile away. What? What? You oh, mean? Yeah. You know that that wasn't a really. You've big... seen enough movies. Eventually, you start putting. You put Ron Perlman in the movie as <laughs> a not good guy. Like it's like, oh, of course they owe Ron Perlman money. I will say, I I wasn't ex- every time I watch this movie, I'm never expecting Albert Brooks to be the bad guy. Right. Right. Because he's really fucking good at it, considering he doesn't get to do it very often. And and I. This is another one of those films to where I enjoyed the characters around the main character almost more than Driver himself. I, I found the characters around Ryan Gosling. I love the opening bit with him driving for the two guys where we get to see him with the whole five-minute thing. I loved that bit. I, I, I was like, cool. I wanted to see more of that. But we only get two instances. He's supposed to be like moonlighting as this guy who does this. And we only get to see it twice. And, you know, and, and I'm like, oh, okay. The way it described it, it makes it sound like this is like a regular nighttime gig. You know, like he's doing it every other night or so. But here we get once and then we get the one that goes FUBAR. Uh, and, yeah, it's just I enjoyed it. I just wasn't blown away. I, I know, I, I, like I said, for the reactions people gave it, I was like, okay. And that's part of the reason why I took so long to watch it because I'm like, for me, especially, well, you, you mentioned it, you watch enough of the crime thriller types, you know, it's like, I dig his silent character and and how he's got this dark side. Absolutely. And the action sequences in that go, but with the story itself though, it's a pretty straightforward story. I mean, uh, you, no, you know, one hundred percent is. You know, and, and we were just talking about Fast X, and I know uh, people will say, "Oh, you're a hypocrite." And I, no, just for me, this film feels like it's trying to have two identities, I guess. And and you know, for me, I guess it put me in middle of the road. So I didn't hate it by any means. I I've thoroughly enjoyed no, it. No, no, and and, and and that makes complete sense. And and I will say, for me, so there's a couple things like I. I'm, I, I get what you're saying. Like, funny enough, this movie, when I saw it, it's kind of what started changing my opinion about Ryan Gosling. I thought mm-hmm. I didn't think anything of him before. Sure. And uh, this gave a different perspective. But I was thinking about as I was doing research for the movie and to find that, you know, he he helped choose the director and they wanted him in, in this movie because he hadn't done much like anything like this. And I was like. I don't know if this movie would have if Ryan Gosling with any other director, I don't know if it would have worked. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Uh, because he is a hard sell. He is a hard sell for this type of role. You know, he's got like the Paul Newman good looks. I just don't <laughs> necessarily believe that he is a badass. Um, and and I've seen a couple I've, of movies where they've tried it. This one um, was it the God one? Uh, was it Only God Forgives or whatever? Mm-hmm. Uh, that one, the whole neo noir. Let's play with colors. The whole movie, uh, film, um, you know that. And, and then, then there was also a place beyond the pines. There's place beyond the pines, which I haven't seen, nor did I see his action direct to Netflix action film, The Gray Man. You know, for me, you're right. Nothing with his abilities whatsoever. Just for me personally, I it's just a hard sell for me to to have him be a, a badass. You know, I just I, mm-hmm. I I don't know if it's the way. You know the way he plays I, it, I, or maybe, and like which I also wonder is if, if why 
in my opinion, this film works better than some of those others is because he's not just a full on badass. He's right. a, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a, 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 there's more scenes of longing than there is of him yeah. <laughs> beating the shit out of people. You know, like I can't, I don't think I could see Ryan Gosling in like, say a born identity type movie. Mm-hmm. I know he's, I, I haven't seen the gray man. I know he's probably been in those types of action films, but like something like this, where it's done with a little more artful touch, I think makes more sense for him as an actor where he can, you know, bring more to his performance than just hitting your marks and doing things real fast and shit like that. Um, And then I will also say like part of the reason in film and just any sort of art is interesting because a big part of uh, people, anyone's enjoyment to things really comes down to when you discover something. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I've seen, for example, we've, I've talked about on this show where I don't, love the original ghostbusters the way a lot of people do because i didn't see it all all the way through until i was an adult um so you know so some of those like you know strong feelings for it that you get at a young age i didn't have Mm -hmm. i found this movie this movie came out right at uh you know right right when i was um either just going into film school or Mm -hmm. when i was still in it um, you know, and my mind had finally had opened up to a lot of different types of, of film. And as my tastes were changing, this fucking movie came out. Um, so it, it, I feel like I just found it at the right time and it hit me because it was a movie that my friend dragged me to because I had no interest. <laughs> sure. It's like, why do I want to go see a, cause I didn't really care for the fast and the furious movies. And he described it to me as like, it's like, Oh, it's like fast and the furious of Ryan Gosling. I was like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> why would I want to go see that? Um, uh, but then he's like, but it's a, he's, he's like, I think he's a stunt man or something. I was like, okay, that sounds kind of cool. Um, I knew nothing about it. And going in thinking you're going to get a Ryan Gosling Fast and the Furious movie. And then you got something like this. That's more in line with say like sixties and seventies car chase movies than it yeah. was any action film coming out mm-hmm. at that time. Just really fucking stuck with me. And it it's just kind of always lived rent free in my brain since then, because it, it's definitely not the first film that's that for me that's you know blended genres that you know there's mm-hmm. been a lot of them throughout the time but it was you know right around the time that i started getting more into art house f- film and seeing someone take a big popular popular genre and treat it like at a higher level just kind mm-hmm. of fucking scrambled my shit a little bit <laughs> i was like oh you can take things and do different things with them. Like, honestly, like, mm-hmm. I tell anyone, if anyone goes and watches my film from the Darkness Theater, you can see a lot of drive in it. Because mm-hmm. I was trying to take genres that I love and find ways to elevate them to different means. And and I get that, you know, and I get what they were totally going for with it. And like I said, I didn't dislike this film by any means. I did oh, you enjoy- don't have to defend yourself. No, no. I, I, I just say it. I, I did enjoy it. I just did it didn't blow me away. It was good. I, they made some decisions in it though, that I kind of wish were different for what I look for, for a type of film like this. Um, namely Give me an example. Well, like I said, the relationship part of it, I, I almost wish it was to where he had just befriended the kid and they didn't really involve feelings for her at all. To where, mm-hmm. you know, 
And, and it would still work because especially when he runs across when the dad comes back and, um, you know, he, he gets... Yeah, because when the dad came back, like, there was a brief moment where he seemed a little jealous, but he actually didn't seem, like, as weirded out. Or, like, as as the way that a lot of these movies would go where there'd be, like, a scene that's like, you, right. you stay away from my wife, you piece of shit. There wasn't really any of that. No, it was it was it was unspoken, but you know, I guess for mm-hmm. me, I feel like because it it didn't exactly go anywhere necessarily, you know, mm-hmm. it, not not to where you were hoping to. They could have easily spun it to where he befriends the kid, whether or not he sees a little bit of himself in the kid from his background or whatnot, and play that angle rather than having a bit of hit, you know, him liking the kid as well as the romance with the wife, uh, you know, the married woman. Uh, and he could still do the motivation because they still threaten the kid. The kid's still, you know, being threatened. You know, it, they could have really done that angle. I guess for me that don't get me wrong. I'm a romantical guy. I like my romance stuff in here for me out of all the elements that they put in this film. That's, that's the part for me, I guess that, I just was like, I just, it did feel like it felt almost like it was there to be there because, oh, young, attractive Ryan Gosling. Oh, Carrie, well, you know, they're going to be attract. You know, I would have just rather had it to where he becomes friends with the kid, uh, you know, and she. Oh, hey, you know, and you can still play at that angle. It, but putting that little extra element in there in some of the scenes, I'm just like, eh. You know, I and I get it because it sets it up for later on in the elevator scene to where he shows his dark side to her and then she just walks away. But again, could have taken it to just being friends with the kid, uh, a father figure almost versus his dad not being there. You could play at that angle and not really have the romance part in there, because for me, I didn't feel it really between them ever. Yeah, <laughs> and it's. It, I've I've seen, I've seen this movie quite a few times, and what I find interesting is because I'd never considered the way that you just said, you know it could have become like a almost like a, a lone wolf and cub type story of you know kind of um, a little bit yeah w- a little bit like you know maybe implied uh, but I never thought about taking it that direction and it, that makes complete sense because every time I watch this movie, just Ryan Gosling just seems like a child mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the way that he um, kind of views the world and his closed off, off this just it feels very he doesn't necessarily seem like a fully formed adult. <laughs> he just seems like he's he's still a child in a lot of ways. And he's just he happens to be really fucking good at what he does. He's a simple guy. You know, and I like that. Again, yeah. I, I, I like that character. He knows what he's good at, and he does that, and he knows he's got this dark side, but he doesn't like unleashing it or whatever. And uh, You know, uh, but yeah. here, you know. Because he, he, he looks relatively unassuming. He's not like well, yeah. Clint Eastwood, where it's like, well, that guy fucks people up. You could tell. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so in that respect, I think I, 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 I'm like, yeah, but by putting in that extra element of romance and, and adding that to his motivation – I think that took a little bit away from his character for me. I would have rather him being protective of the kid. And like you said, being somewhat of a kid himself, he's just a straightforward guy. Um, I think would have worked maybe a little bit better for me. Uh, I like the fact that he helps out, 
you know, and it could still work because he still helps out the kid's dad because his dad's a, the dad's in trouble and it's a threat to the kid. You wouldn't necessarily have to have anything going on between him and Irene, you know. Uh, and Brian Cranston showing up in here as his his handler, so to speak. I really liked him, though he made a couple of mm-hmm. weird decisions too. I'm like, you know, these guys are gangsters. I know you want to yeah. take it legit, but you're going to them for three hundred thousand, well, four hundred thousand dollars, and they end up giving you three hundred thousand dollars. And I'm like, you work as a mechanic, even with the nighttime job. I'm like, this is just a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, like, I, it's it's a bad idea. For, like, and clearly they're not making a lot of money doing stunts. Uh, uh, being mechanics and doing crimes because they should be rich and it looks like they're just kind of living paycheck to paycheck. So that shows you a lot of what's going on with the housing market in California because <laughs> you need to do crimes and have two jobs. <laughs> just, to, just to make ends meet, yeah. Just to make ends meet. And his apartment's got nothing in it. I mean, he's only got one lamp on, so I assume he's trying to conserve his energy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that much furniture, uh, can't afford furniture, <laughs> that's going to be expensive. It's it's interesting, just like, I, I it, so little is going on with Ryan Gosling's character that the story, in a lot of ways, is kind of told through the, 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 the side characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, almost to the point where, like, Ryan Gosling's character doesn't talk and the other characters won't shut the fuck up sometimes. <laughs> like, Ron Perlman is just... Just in his own fucking world. Ron Perlman's um, being but, Ron Perlman in this. He's just it's yeah, like, yeah. I just I I actually really love because uh, the relationship and I want I wish that we got more of it of between Shannon and Bernie. Yeah, you know, they're kind they're past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love the idea that you know uh, here's this this gangster that used to, which makes sense. <laughs> used to be a film producer. When's our first race? Pretty soon. You're gonna be ready? I hope so. I hope so. Hey, no false modesty. I got a lot of money in this. Did Shannon ever tell you how we met? I used to produce movies in the 80s. Kind of like action films, sexy stuff. One critic called them European. I thought they were shit. Anyway, he arranged all the cars for me, did all the stunts. I liked them. I liked having him around, even though he overcharged the shit out of me. His next business venture, he got involved with some of Nino's friends. They didn't go for the overcharging bit. They broke his pelvis. He's never had a lot of luck. The reason I'm telling you this is that he has a lot invested in you. And so do I. So anything you need, you call me. We're a team now. <laughs> I'm excited. Nino, get the fuck out of here. People call my people called my movies European. Which, <laughs> was, uh, which just made me laugh yeah. way more than it should have. <laughs> uh, this idea, you know, and that I I just kind of like that, you know, even though Bernie is very clearly a gangster. Um, and the one realistically pulling the strings between him and Ron Perlman, right. um, he just keeps giving Shannon chances because he likes him. 
<laughs> like I honestly that scene where he kill where he where he kills Shannon you can tell by the way that Albert Brooks performs it he didn't feel good about it he didn't no. want to have to kill Shannon no he it, liked it, it. It's he like, did it he did it quick he's like okay it's over now it's over it's gonna happen that was yeah. cool it, it, Al, you know everybody talks about Ryan Gosling in this film screw that Albert, Albert Brooks. Brooks oh my lord in a role you wouldn't the, expect he, him in and oh he makes that interaction between him and ryan gosling where ryan gosling's like you know my hands are dirty and he goes so are mine he makes that fucking work the way he sells that line he he's he goes all in on this idea of this guy who who is a scary individual but he tries to be the nice guy kind of similar to you know our driver character but he he's more you know he's more connected in the organized crime world uh, and, and more subdued, but at the same time, he's cold. Albert Brooks puts in one of the best performances I've seen of him as a bad guy. Oh, I, and, I, and I love Albert Brooks, and I 100% agree. It's it's almost, and I never, I didn't think of it until this mo- most recent viewing of it. Is there's there's definitely a parallel between um, the driver and Shannon and Albert Brooks's character and. Um, mm-hmm and ron perlman it's like almost like two sides of the same coin type of thing like yeah ne- you know. <laughs> ron perlman's character is named nino and if he nino yes he em- nino. embodies a character named nino um I, the biggest the biggest shock reveal for me in this is when we get to see the true side of bernie i loved how yes. that was set up i really do because it was the way they set things up in this film, uh, you don't expect it, especially for one. You're like, oh, that's Albert Brooks. If you're from our generation, you don't. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's, that's Albert Brooks. Like, because through through most of this movie, he's just playing kind of fun, neurotic nice guy. Albert yeah. Brooks. You know, he's a gangster. You know, almost too nice to be a gangster type of thing. Right. He's being nice to Shannon. You know, they must have some history. He knows that Shannon knows that he's going to need to pay him back in some way. But you also get the feeling that had things that gone sideways with this heist, that Bernie would have let Shannon pay off that 300000 for like 20 years. He, he wouldn't sit there and collect as long as he got some kind of money from Shannon. And also he even mentions how he was looking forward to actually having his name on the car. Uh, you know, Bernie was kind of warmed up to the idea of sponsoring a, a, a race car um you know it so for the way albert plays this whole character from start to finish really helped me quite a bit with this film uh it was a surprise it was the biggest surprise for me you know more so than ryan's performance it was him his character really like when he showed up and they did like you said the hand dialogue mm-hmm. it was like that i'm like Okay, you have my attention. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it was like, okay, I let's see where this goes. You know, with the the and it's like and and once you upon rewatching and once you know who Bernie's character is from the get go, it really kind of builds the relationship between uh, Bernie and Nino, where mm-hmm. Nino is the muscle. So like they, yeah. they made hints throughout this movie. That Nino is the it broke Shannon's hip, <laughs> yeah. and you know when this movie first starts, you get the idea that Nino is in charge and Albert Brooks is just one of his flunkies, and you find out 
it's the other way around. And yeah. it's such a great little reveal. And then it makes you start thinking, it's like, okay, well, Nino broke Shannon's hip or pelvis or whatever yeah. they said. Oh, and, you know, and when Shannon keeps borrowing money from Albert Brooks, oh, Albert Brooks had Nino do that because he didn't couldn't do it himself. It remind there's an episode of Happy Days where um, there's a Richie is having issues with a bully. Right. And uh, the bully comes up and he's going to punch Richie and he goes, I can't hit Richie. I like Richie. You, you hit you Richie. Richie. He just yeah. has someone else to. And that's the whole relationship between the two of them. And then poor fucking Shannon just keeps coming back for more because he just, he can't just let well enough be alone. Like, like Albert Brooks says to him, he's like, you have a successful business. Why do you want to do, do this? Shannon, Shannon is probably the most sympathetic character in this film. Um, more so than anybody else, I think is the more most sympathetic because you feel for this guy because you see what he's trying to do and you're like, you don't have to. Just like you said, you know, Bernie tells him, you're looking at this, going, dude, why are you, why are you coming up with this? You're doing good, Shannon. You you yeah. don't need to. But he, his character feels like he needs to advance. He needs to get bigger, but he doesn't have to. And that's what makes his character a, a, a sympathetic yet tragic character is you just feel for this guy because you know he's been through crap. He's dealing with gangsters, but he's talking to them like they're his buddies, even though they're way technically above him. And at any point, as we see later, they could kill him. Um, and you feel really you, you feel really bad for Shannon. You know, uh, him and Blanche. Blanche, too. Yeah. <laughs> Blanche as well. I feel bad for Blanche. I she just kind of like she's involved with these gangsters, but like she's getting fucked over too. Well, I mean, she didn't know everything that's going on. She didn't know what's going on, but much less she's not even dealing with the Bernie and Ninos. They pawn her off, for lack of a better term, to the third tier guy, <laughs> the guy who who you know looks like he's straight out of a, a Russian mafioso movie with the track. <laughs> tracksuit who 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 makes so he, he is such a piece of shit that to the point where ryan gosling's beating him with a hammer and none of the strippers are even reacting i love that, that that's gotta be one of my favorite scenes i do uh, again there's a lot of great moments. and the framing of that scene where he's got where he's got the hammer above him and they're they're all just like these really like european looking strippers who just don't give a fuck <laughs> nobody gives a rat's ass and even when he says hey call you know call his boss and the one doesn't even hesitate she's just like oh okay yeah. it just gives him the phone and it's like but yeah nobody yeah. they're just watching they're not reacting they're not like oh my god they just they're like they're waiting for him to do it so they can leave <laughs> Yeah, it's like oh, one less person to worry about. Yeah, you know, so this this guy's the the worst piece of shit, and uh, he gets his he gets, yeah, he gets he gets his uh, at, at not the hands of Nino. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because that one scene where Bernie and Nino are talking to tracksuit guy, um, I forgot his name. Uh, is it tan no, suit? No, he's, he's tan suit. Yeah, cook. Uh, yeah. The yeah, tan suit guy is the dude that Brian Gosling beat the fuck out of in the elevator. That's right. That's right. So Cook 
is sitting there at the table. They're talking about, well, who who else knows about this money? Because we get this wonderful dialogue to find out what the actual big deal of this whole heist gone wrong that ended up getting Standard killed uh, is because this money, Nino actually hired him to knock over uh, East Coast Gangster, uh, a two-bit one, but nonetheless, a million bucks. And they're like, well, who else knows about this? And they're like, well, besides the, you know, the driver and, uh, you know, Blanche. Uh, and then they, they don't say his name. They just look with their eyes. And it's almost I like. I know, that's the funniest fucking thing. And Nino, what I love is Nino almost looks reluctant at the idea. Like, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. It's, it's one of the only times we see it to where Nino seems scared of Bernie. Not necessarily scared, yeah. but he's like, ooh, he's like Bernie. Yeah, does, you, you can know. see the powers change in that scene, like the way that Perlman and Brooks deliver that scene. It's so subtle, but like you said, some of the best, like some of the best acting in that film from is coming from Albert Brooks, and just the he brings so much out of the rest of the cast. Like I could have watched an entire movie of just Albert Brooks and Brian Cranston. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because Albert Brooks gives a little sigh when, when Nito looks over at Cook and he's just like, <sighs> and he's sitting there struggling to eat his pizza with his two broken hands. <laughs> yeah, he's just trying to eat his pizza with his broken hands. Oh, uh, yeah, and, and there's a lot of those moments in this. The subtlety, it's the subtle parts that I guess people would call art house. I just say it's it's good you know, makes for interesting film to where you don't have to say everything, um, you know, and... Yeah, and, and it's it's almost, it's, you know, some people, you know, obviously, and, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with people when they say, you know, they wish there was a little bit more story to this film, but I do think probably one of the smarter things that Refn did in this film was to strip it down. Because mm-hmm. I read one of the early drafts of the script, and there was a lot of talking, a lot of exposition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just makes sense that he would, you know... That's usually my first instinct, too, And when I'm adapting someone else's work, is, you know, like, okay, now that the... You know, I'm not precious to it, what can we cut out? What right. is not needed? Mm-hmm. You know what can make the audience think a little bit uh, it kind of reminds me of um stanley kubrick he would have mm. slightly different cuts of his films for european audiences because he didn't have to hold their hand through everything <laughs> and he'd add a little bit more talking to the american cuts yeah and so, i you know him yeah. being a danish filmmaker makes sense you know that he would just kind of start stripping things away that weren't needed and I'm not the one that needs my hand held by any means. And like, oh, no, definitely you know, the, not. The, subtle, the subtlety part of it is what works with this film. Um, as I mentioned before, I think I could have used one more scene with the with driver in action. Um, I agree. I agree. I, I, I wanted, and this is not necessarily a bad thing. I wanted more. I I, I wanted um, to and see. I wanted that. more of yeah. that. Because they were so well done, They're, that that opening scene is just a master course on tension and editing, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's so well executed. And you know everything with with the the ticking clock, uh, the way that he's utilizing the um, 
the police scanner uh, mm-hmm. to figure out where where the police are at. And then at first, you know, this seemingly unimportant detail of him listening to a basketball game, like, well, that seems like a weird fucking choice. And then it has a payoff in the end, which is I still think like a brilliant way to end that sequence. Oh yeah, um, uh, something I've I've never seen anyone do in a movie before. Um, like they could, you you could study that scene in, in 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 film schools, and there's a lot you can get from it. And yeah, the the second chase that we have on the, you know, after everything gets fucked up at the pawn shop, if anything, is just a little short. It well, it's it's short, and it's it's far more blunt than the opening scene. That's mm-hmm. why I would have liked to see one that was maybe in between. You know, because they they build up that he's moonlighting at this, and we get to see all of one full job and one botched job. Really, I would have liked to see and, one, and then, and then a third job is kind of mentioned indirectly in dialogue. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and I guess I just would have liked to see. It wouldn't even have to been that long, and it could have been one of those to where it's it's a scene to where it doesn't quite go as much, and we see driver start to get at least a little nervous like a middle you know like a middle job to where he's just yeah you know especially because like the first job he's very much you know he sets down his rules you know yeah you know you get you get me five minutes before the job anything within that yada 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 uh you know you you have me until the job is completed he has his fucking set of rules he never gets out of the car all these other little details uh, and he's he's detached from them. He's got everyone mm-hmm. at arm's length because he knows that's what you have to do to not make mistakes. Right. One of the big things he make he breaks a lot of his own rules in that second job because he knows standard. He gets involved um, from a place of emotion. He gets out of the car. Granted, it's a small little scene, yeah. but he he's more connected to what's going on. Um, so you went from him having, being really strict in his rules to him effectively breaking his rules. And I, I completely agree. I think we should have, we could have gotten one more, you know, the, the runtime is an hour 40. I think this movie could have went two hours and it wouldn't have, Oh no, it it wouldn't have been a problem. Um, you could fit one more chase in there. Like just one more job. One, and it didn't even necessarily have to even be the length of that first one. It just had, I, I completely agree with you. I would have liked to have seen one more where he, is starting to slip like he almost makes a mistake and doesn't quite and you know that way that when the third one comes and he is making mistakes and he effectively gets out of all of them will then prove even more that he is a really fucking competent driver because even though he's breaking his own rules he still successfully got away yeah no the driving the driving stunts were wonderful in here you know and he he proved his his talent for sure but yeah definitely would especially it would have been nice to get a job like that right after he meets her to kind of Mm -hmm. show the impact of her and that's what i mean is like they do this thing and i understand it's stripped down and everything and i don't need my handheld but at the same time it was the one part of the relation i just didn't buy into that relationship of 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 that or feel like the weight so that when the husband shows up, I'm like, okay. Yeah. In all honesty, when the husband showed up, I'm like, yeah. I'm and like, actually yeah. when the husband's showing up would have been a perfect time to add another job because then there's that whole, like, you know, cause right. he has those scenes of Benicio where, you know, which me, me and Amanda were cracking up over when he was like, you know, it was like, well, 
of course, when he's talking, when they're watching cartoons, and he's like, "Is he a bad guy?" Well, of course, he's a shark. Yeah. Are all sharks bad guys? He's like, yes. And then like Ryan Gosling's just sta- sitting there having an existential crisis about who he is as a person. <laughs> we that's the way that we read it is yeah. that he's just like, oh fuck, am I a bad guy? Yeah. Uh, you know, and he meets Benicio's father who. What who went who is a criminal went to jail. We don't know what for. We just know he went to jail, you know. So then to have him go be, be committing crimes or whatever, yeah, I think that yeah, would have been totally. It, it would have made complete sense, right? And, and I guess that's what was kind of missing for me was a little bit with that the 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 arc for driver is a bit dr- more drastic than I would have liked to see with it. I mean, it, it literally mm-hmm. goes from like zero to see, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, he literally goes from, Oh, subtle, quiet stunt guy. Who's to all of a sudden, boom. And I'm like, I get what they're going for. Just me personal taste. I would have liked to see kind of a middle to where he's starting to, you know, that layers being pulled back just a little to sh- help show the effect of the relationship he had with, discovering this kid you know and his his caring for this mm-hmm. kid and feelings budding possible romance with her um you know and then there's the ending which i you see coming you know where it's gonna go everybody is aware of how this might go down at least what uh bernie's actions are gonna be um it the ending took a little bit away from me and it's gonna sound cold it really is I wish he would have been dead. And not because I didn't quite care for the character or Ryan Lasting's acting. I I was hoping more so that his character actually does like end there, but in the car. Like I was kind of hoping like he'd do a whole like rebel without a cause thing to where he's in a car and he, he's staring out just as he's dying, and then as he dies, he goes over the cliff with a car or something. You know, something more symbolic yeah. than that. And I, and I, cause I feel like it's implied that he probably bleeds out and dies, but it would have been like it would have been nice to, I don't know, I guess to get some of that closure. Well, I, I mean, because they talk about, I, I see a lot of references in some of the reviews, and that talk about the poetry of this film, and I think that'd be very poetic. Here's a guy. Mm-hmm. Who's trying to do the right thing? You know, he takes out Albert Brooks with his freaking keys to the throat. It was beautiful. Uh, after he gets gut jabbed, which you're like, oh, he's he's no, that's a stab. He's not. Which I do walk. have to say real quick. I love that Albert yeah. Brooks had this really phenomenal speech. It's like, here's what I'm prepared to offer. You give me the money, the girl is safe forever. Nobody knows about her. She's off the map. I can't offer you the same. So this is what I would suggest. We conclude our deal, we'll shake hands, you start the rest of your life. Any dreams you have, or plans, or hopes for your future, I think you're gonna have to put that on hold. And then I most appreciate being, I guess the kind of good guy that Albert Brooks is, he pretty much said, here's gonna be your fucking life. Just so you are prepared for it. No surprises. Yeah. Uh, and I love how I gave him this whole speech about you're going to be looking over your shoulder. They didn't even get to the fucking parking no. lot. Before <laughs> they didn't even get to the trunk. They didn't even get to the train. No. And, if, and you know, yet he wasn't looking over his shoulder. <laughs> he told you right told there you. to look over your shoulder. Well, that's what got me with the driver character is like they play it like the drive. You know, 
driver knows what's going to happen when he goes out to the parking lot to get the money. I'm like, okay, where's, you know, is he going to get him first? But no, he gets, he's, he gets a jab in before he kills Bernie. I mean, we still get Bernie dead, but now that you got driver with this really uh, ugly injury, you know, you're right. It's implied. And in fact, they play at it a little bit because they do this whole camera angle to where he's still, he's like, and you think he's dead. And I'm mm-hmm. like, fade out. I was actually sitting here. My brain go, okay, fade out, fade, fade out, fade. And no, all of a sudden he goes, oh, and he blinks and he's like, I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm like, you almost had me with this ending. And then you have him <laughs> wake up and drive off with this gut check blade injury. And I'm just like. No, you, you people talk about it being poetic, and I'm like, and you end it with him driving away. Maybe he lives, probably not. But I'm like, no, no, give me a little closure. If you're talking poetry, <laughs> give me that final stanza to where he's in his car, say on a cliff. He doesn't even have to drive over. He's just in his car on a cliff somewhere, looking at the ocean or whatever, and and he he dies. He breathes his last breath. And if you fade to black there. For me, that would have had more meaning than him pulling a, you know, John McClane to where he's like, mm-hmm. nope, I'm still good. <laughs> yeah, or even something as simple as, you know, you have him at the cliff, you have him, like, looking out the water, you see the back of the car, you know, you can you can be craning down on the car, you see, you know, you see his silhouette, and even if the silhouette just falls over a little bit or something, like, it could be, it could be a subtle thing. I, I, I guess... For the way this whole film plays out, for it to end the way it does, it's it's not a horrible ending, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, I feel a bit robbed emotionally because I'm just like, Mm -hmm. give me that because it would be fitting, it'd be poetic, it'd be bittersweet, sure, but at the same time, you're like, it it would fit. The way the whole story was going, it would fit this Mm -hmm. type of story, which we've gotten before where... Your hero is on this collision course for death that that he's not going to survive at the end of the film. But the actions leading up to it, you're okay with it. You're sad. You're bittersweet. But at the same time, you don't feel robbed to where, you know, Mm -hmm. here I was like, don't blink. And then it sits at it and then he blinks. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's like the spinning top at the end of Inception. Uh, (laughs) You're like. Part of you wants to see it move, and then part of you doesn't. Uh, That's the only film I've been in for a very long time where I looked around and literally you had almost every single person leaning forward in their seat in Inception, staring at that fucking top, waiting for it to move. And then they cut to black, and you hear the entire audience. I literally, the whole audience went, <laughs> like, like, like everybody was just like, ah. and that's what I kind of was like here when he blinked. I went, ah. no, I like, but it was great. I've never been in a audience where the last frame of the film you had the whole audience just exhale like, ah. like, like, like. So you know, for me, Drive was the same way. I just had it ended like. 20 seconds sooner you know it's it's also interesting too just like the um so uh uh 
Nicholas Winding Refn, he's had, uh, mm-hmm. you know, quite a career before and after Drive. But I think one could definitely say that Drive was a turning point in his career. Um, you know, because he, he definitely caught a lot of attention when he did Bronson in 2008. And then he did Valhalla Rising. And then he did this. And... Um, oh, and he did Only God uh, Forgives, which I didn't quite care for. <laughs> yeah. And then he did The Neon Demon, which I actually really loved. Um, I've not seen that yet either. That's on my shame list. So I have not seen the end. I don't know if you will like it or not. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, so I, w- I would say um, Drive is definitely uh, his most ex- uh, accessible, uh, accessible film. <laughs> sure. Uh, and I almost feel like he I honestly believe he has grown to. I feel like the films he was he made after Drive were trying to respond to Drive and that, mm. you know, because everyone wanted him to make another Drive, you know, make something like that again that's both kind of artsy and action-y and, uh, and he didn't really want to do that. He So he just kind of really doubled down on the artsy, <laughs> for better or for worse. It dep- really depends on your taste or hell, even the day, you know. Yeah. Um, but what I think is really interesting, it's hard to find sometimes, but if you can find, uh, it was streaming for the longest time. There's a documentary called My Life Directed by Nicholas Winding Refn mm. that uh, his wife actually made while they were working on um, Only God Forgives. It's a kind mm. of behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. documentary of, um, it started off as like a behind-the-scenes documentary of him making um only God forgives. And if anything, I think it's a really interesting watch for filmmakers um, to see that it doesn't matter what level you're at. Anxiety exists. You know, the stress of, of trying to live up to mm-hmm. what people expect from you exist. Um, all of that. And it's he, he talks quite a bit in that film that, you know, he said, uh, I think he even says at one point, don't quote me exactly, but I think he says his drive, it, it, he, depending on the day, is the best thing that's happened to him and sometimes the worst thing that's happened to him <laughs> because he's always going to be living with that. He's always going to be chasing that success and everything he does after that is always going to be viewed against it. Uh, but yeah, at the same point, point, he has no problem exploiting Drive. There was a point where he needed some additional funding for the uh, for Only God Forgives, and a, I think like the Venice Film Festival or something sure. was offering uh-huh. like was uh, wanted to show Drive, and they wanted him and Ryan Gosling to come to it, and he made a deal, a cash fucking deal, that he'll come if they pay if they pay him, and they gave him a suitcase full of money, and he flew from set to this fucking film festival, introduced the film, collected his briefcase, and then put that money back into the movie. <laughs> and you see it all happen in the documentary, and it's like I can't, I, I can't hate the hustle. You can't hate the hustle, no. I mean that's. Shit, that's like canon level hustle right there. That's like a canon mm-hmm. film, you know. And he's done other things like uh, there's. I've got it. Actually, I got two copies. One's in plastic. Uh, the RoboCop soundtrack re-release is from a series of vinyl or whatever soundtracks he released from Nicholas uh, Refine. Uh, it's got a yeah. little logo on it as well. He did a few of those, so you know he's he's dabbled in some other yeah, things too. He... He um, also did the Terminator. Um, and yeah, I, I, I have that. that. Yeah, that's that's the other one I've got. I got the Terminator and I've got the RoboCop one, and they're really good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and in this one, it under that explains a lot for only God forgives. I've totally blanked. I, I here's my critic card. I fail. I totally blanked. He did uh, only God forgets too. Cause I didn't care for it because it felt like it was trying so hard. You know, when I was watching it, I'm like, Oh, this is really tried hard for that art house, you know, almost too hard. And that explains it. If he was following this up from drive, you know, it's, it's what I call the M night Shyamalan uh, syndrome. M. Night came out of the mm-hmm. gate with a wonderful film that just surprised the hell out of everyone with a twist mm-hmm. with Sixth Sense. That would it just, it's like, and then you almost get the feeling like he felt the need for every film afterwards to have some kind of surprise twist. Like, even if maybe he didn't care, I'd love to see a behind the scenes or how he comes up with some of it because it's like, even if he didn't want to, he came up to it because that's what everybody was expecting. And unfortunately, that didn't always work, the happening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Yep. And then some of the ones he made that, you know, I think are actually pretty decent still get a lot of hate. Like, I think I think The Village is a better movie than people give it credit for. Villages. <laughs> the Villages. Yeah. Uh, but it was like right in the height of M. Night Shyamalan hate. So I feel like it never it never had the chance to succeed. Um, I like the Unbreakable yeah, trilogy. I, the Unbreakable trilogy is actually real. Unbreakable was is phenomenal, and people are like, "Great!" Yeah, but then I've not seen that one, but I have seen Split. I and the, obviously oh. I haven't seen Glass yet because I didn't want to see it until I saw what, Unbreakable. What's fun watching Unbreakable is it was just as you know the superhero talk and films were starting to be talked about, and how Unbreakable plays out surprised a lot of people as well. I really like unbreakable quite a bit um and and the story of when i first saw it i didn't realize there's nothing in the trailer either that implies exactly what type of film it actually is till you get to the third act and i love that i love that about unbreakable and i love split and i love glass up until like the last 10 minutes of glass that's the (laughs) it's like everything up (laughs) until the very end of glass i love that trilogy more than i I suppose it and it, it's interesting though, like you said, because I've not seen Unbreakable, but I have a, sure. I have a pretty, I have a grasp on what it's about, and it's very un M Night Shyamalan right movie, mm-hmm. it, um, and I think there's something to be said about making those choices. So when um, Ryan Gosling pitched the idea of Refn mm-hmm. directing Drive, right. You know, he had done some. He had done. Uh, he had done some. Um, some smaller films in in. Um, um, Cop- I think he's from Copenhagen. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, he had done some smaller films with Mads Mikkelsen, and then, like I said, the film that kind of put him on the map was probably Bronson. And um, mm-hmm. people, it's when he said, "Oh, I think I think Refn should do this movie," and people were like, "Well." He's not going to have any interest in doing this. This is right. not like what he wants to be doing. And apparently, he said he pretty without even thinking about. It, he's like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And <laughs> it was the film that no one expected him to do because it's unlike his other. I don't want to say unlike yeah. what he's done, but it's you know because he did some crime films. Mm-hmm. Um, but people were expecting him to say no, and he did it, and it became one of his, it, arguably his biggest hit. Um, and then. And Night Shyamalan did the film, did you know Unbreakable, which is unlike what people right. were expecting him to do, and has and is arguably by considered by a lot of people to be one of his, if not his best film. Mm-hmm. So I think there's an important lesson there to for a lot of young filmmakers 
it's sometimes it's good to get out of your comfort zone and just to try something. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, now granted, occasionally you'll get hook, but uh, usually though, (laughs) what you get is a very surprising film uh, that, you know, when a director does something completely different than you're used to them seeing, you know, um, you know, M night, I think he'd be a lot more successful if he played a lot more of his films straight. Like uh, there was the one, the visit with the old people uh, where the Mm -hmm. kids go to visit their grandma and grandpa and something creepy is going on with them. It's I remember a pretty... liking that one. I don't, rem- I don't remember the details, but I remember liking that one. I enjoyed that one quite a bit. It was a pretty straight film for M. Night. There wasn't really a big twist at the end. And I'm like, do more of this. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm sitting? I'm like sitting here going, uh, yeah, you know, you oh, don't. Yeah, whereas a lot, of it, a lot of his films just feel kind of like rejected Twilight Zone episodes. <laughs> like that one he did... Um... That he did on about you know the people going to that island. It was more one of oh, the old, ones yeah, remember. old, old. It's like I really didn't like that one. Old, old was uh, better when they got when they got off the beach. I liked old a lot better than when they were on the beach. Yeah, <laughs> but you know you're you're right. I mean, it's interesting that he did drive. Nicholas did and. It is uh, probably his most accessible one. I haven't seen Neon De- uh, Demon yet. I wanted to. It's on my list because I love those types of films. I loved Black Swan, so and I was heard a lot of mm-hmm. uh, heard a lot of comparisons to it. Um, and I might revisit Only God Forgives after seeing Drive now. Uh, you know, yeah, but I feel I feel like I feel like they'll play really interesting, knowing that decisions he's making on Only God Forgives were in contrast to yeah. to Drive. Yeah, I I think they, you know, and if remembering the story from Only God Forgives, you could have almost made it drive two uh, <laughs> in mm-hmm. many in many ways. I mean, yeah, you'd have to tailor it a bit, but you could easily have have changed it just a almost bit. Almost like it's a co- spiritual sequel. I feel it like is. He, he needs to now do a he needs to now do a third Ryan Gosling movie and complete <laughs> the unofficial Driver trilogy. <laughs> well, he wears a similar jacket in Only God Forgives, so who knows. Uh, you know, and again, it's kind of like just, John Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy. They're not actually related, but they're right. close enough. They're, they're close enough. They're close enough. You know, and, and yeah, I just I, I enjoyed it. I, I'm glad I got to watch Drive. Um, you know, if I anything, found, the soundtrack is incredible. Oh yeah, like the soundtrack no, that, is definitely worth buying. I let's put it this way: I enjoyed it quite a bit. I just wasn't as floored or blown away as some people had implied that you would be when you watch this film, (laughs) you know, it's funny. It's It's, drive is one of those movies that if someone's like, Oh, I love drive. I'm like, right. But then someone's like, I really don't like it. I'm like, I get it. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) I, I, that's, it's just like fast and furious films in a way. It's like, it's like people go, Oh my God, I hate those. Those are so dumb. And I'm like, yeah. And then there's people who love them and are like, yeah, you know, you know yeah. It's, it's... like you can see, you know, I, I think important part of, you know, like once again, going back to a conversation we were having earlier about Transformers, just because you like something doesn't mean you can't find its flaws. Oh, no, I've, I've always given the prime example. My, my friend and I, you know, two and a half years old, Star Wars was the first film I ever saw. It's been around my entire memorable life. He's the same way. We are huge, both Star Trek and Star Wars fans. You can be both. But we'll watch the original. 
we'll watch the new hope and we'll shred the shit out of a new hope. We'll we'll talk about yeah. all the things that, you know, don't exactly work around. Doesn't mean we don't love it. We're fully aware of the flaws in it. Now I'm talking the original cut. I'm not talking about the McClunky McClunk- piece of oh my lord, leave it alone. Uh you know, Disney version. I'm talking about the original one, which I still have on my THX VHS tape. Um, you know, even that one, though, has its flaws that we'll rip on. But at the same time, we love it. We'll watch that movie so many times. And there's other films. Yeah, it's, I've... It's a... Go ahead. No, it's, it's the same way with me and John Carpenter's Halloween. It's my favorite movie of all time. It's the movie that made me want to make movies. And in the same sitting, I will, you know... <laughs> I will rip it hard just uh but then in the same sitting I will then uh, like fucking uh give you a three point essay about you know one shot of the film and why it's a masterpiece. <laughs> See, and for me, uh, I have many of those films to where I just love the hell out of them even as bad, you know, as flawed as they might be. I will to this day die on the hill for maximum overdrive. I love that movie. I've that, watched that's it. That's on my shameless. It's a movie uh, that uh, uh, for 31 days of horror, I watched it each day for 31 days of horror. <laughs> I also watched other wow. horror for 31 days, but I watched Maximum Overdrive for 31 days. And for the group that I'm in to where you got to give a synopsis of the film you watched, I wrote each synopsis each day from the perspective of a different character. <laughs> that's kind of beautiful and and it worked you know and and i fully recognize all of its flaws and people like well how can you love that film steven you know stephen king he made the film and he hates the film and i'm like yeah i i love it for its its purity of b horror camp it's like it's one of those films to where you get it nowadays because we're all meta, thanks to Scream and that. No, no slight on Scream, but so many self-aware, campy horror films winking at the audience. They're making a bad movie. Say, this is going to be a bad movie. We're going to make a bad movie. What I love about films like Maximum Overdrive is they weren't sitting there going, we're making a bad movie. You know, <laughs> coked up Stephen King was like, I'm making some art, damn it. <laughs> you know, and it's got such an honesty to its awfulness that that's why I love it. Just like Megaforce. Have you ever seen Megaforce? Brian no. Boswick. Oh my God. It's the closest thing to an actual G.I. Joe movie we will ever get. Look it up. Megaforce. Brian Boswick. I'll look it up right now. Uh, it's got uh, 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 Ula. Uh, she played uh, the um, the alien. Uh, she played the woman in a Star Trek a motion picture. She played the one with the crystal. Uh, she's in it. Um, oh, this, looks, th- this poster is incredible. Dude, Megaforce is... You've got Henry Silva as a bad guy. <laughs> you've got you got the wow. old guy from from Knight Rider. <laughs> you 
This looks incredible. Wow, that's a skin-tight outfit on Boswick. Gold lame jumpsuits with beautiful miniatures that they used for explosions and fight and the vehicles. But if you watch, I mean, you see the trailer, but if you watch that movie, it it is 100% a G.I. Joe ripoff. Like, they could get the rights to the actual cartoon, so they made something that pretty much was it. You know, so... And the thing is, I, I enjoy films like that, and I think you there's room to enjoy films like that and enjoy films like Drive and, you know, yeah. the art. You, in fact, I think it makes you a better film viewer and appreciate it if, you, like you said, you break out of your shell, not so much as a director, but just as a film viewer. Watch something mm-hmm. that's out of your wheelhouse because even if you don't quite like it, <laughs> It's something different, and you might find something you do yeah. like suddenly. Like I said, yeah, a- like- after watching Drive, I actually want to go back and revisit Only God Forgives. Um, when I got done and with one it. One of two things is going to happen. One of three things is going to happen. You either feel the same way about Only God Forgives. <laughs> you might, maybe you'll, you'll appreciate Only God. Not, not, not to say you necessarily like it, but you might appreciate Only God Forgives more. Or you actually might appreciate Drive more, depending on how exactly. you feel about Only God Forgives. Who exactly. knows? Because like, I think that's sometimes the most fun thing. Is like I've, been, I've revisited films that I didn't really like the first time, and I had a completely different perspective on them because tastes change. And... I am a firm believer, like you were just saying, of getting out of, out of your wheelhouse. I'm in a lot of like physical media collecting groups, and the amount of people that are like, I only collect this specific genre of movie. I don't buy anything else. I'm like, well, you're missing out, man. You're missing, you're missing, you're out, missing out. Great stuff. Man, in college, I thought Batman and Robin was the worst Batman film of all times. I despised that film. For Com Class, this was early days, back in the 90s. One of our global communications class was either you could write a paper or do a website. So in our group project, we made a website and I made a page that was an entire rant on why I thought Batman and Robin was the most awful Batman film. Like, <laughs> like I had pictures and because it was the 90s, you had an animated GIF in there at some point, you know. <laughs> Because this was on a GeoCity site for free. Anyway, that's how old I am. Years later, doing the podcast, the spoiler room, we did a Batman month, and I revisited the four films. Batman, Bat. Well, I watched the 1966 Batman film first the week before, but then during the month, I watched Batman Returns Forever and Batman and Robin. And after I got done, I realized, you know what? Batman and Robin and the 1966 Batman actually kind of go together well. And I had a more appreciation for it. I didn't think it was great, but I didn't hate on it like I used to. But I discovered a new hatred for Batman forever. <laughs> to where yeah, Everyone's uh, hating on Val Kilmer. <laughs> where, where after watching it, my, my despising of the film changed from Batman and Robin to Batman Forever. And now that film, I I can't watch anymore. I'll watch Batman and Robin before Batman Forever, which is weird because I never didn't think I'd ever like Batman and Robin enough to watch it again. But I do, even if Arnold Schwarzenegger got paid like a million dollars a line and every nearly every line was a cold pun of some sort. But anyway, mm. well, perfect. He, he didn't, but 
it comes out to that. I actually did a count once when I watched it once. I'm thinking how many lines he had and then looked at his, I'm like, oh, look at that. It's like watching Casino. Oh, good. I had a I had a DVD at one point of Scarface that had a had had a counter on it for how many times they say fuck in the movie it'll bring the counter up and I think they had another counter for every bullet fired. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that counter would have been high. I did that for yeah. I did that for Casino when I watched Casino. How many times Joe Pesci says the word fuck? You're like because I think it's like one of the most times ever the word's been said. <laughs> It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. But, yeah, you know, but it, there's all those films that are out, and I'm glad I got to see Drive. Very happy to watch this, finally. And I didn't hate it. Um, wasn't blown away, but maybe because I've seen a lot of films like this, but at the same time, I can see the appeal for sure on yeah, it. Yeah, and I feel like know. there was, you know, there was definitely films that, you could watch, you know, older movies and see the inspiration for Drive, mm-hmm. but then you can also see movies that came after Drive that were trying to kind of capture that magic, and whether or not they were successful or not has come down to the person. But it's it's definitely it, it it captured the imagination of many. And one thing that we we like to do here on the Shameless Picture Show is I have a uh, I make people do this even if they didn't like the movie, <laughs> which always throws them because I I try to be a bastion of positivity to an extent. Um, we have something called the Thrill House moment, where any mm-hmm. Simpsons fans will know there's a moment on the Simpsons where Millhouse is playing a video game and it's it's recreating that poster of the guy sitting in front of the stereo with his hair being blown back, <laughs> and Millhouse is sitting in front of his video game, his hair blown back. And he's playing a video game, and his hair's all blown back. As I said, and he's just like, "Oh, I've all I've done was put in my name," and he just wrote in Thrill House. And so we call you know that moment that just kind of knocks your hair back. It's the Thrill House moment of the movie. Um, you know, like I said, I make people even do this if they didn't like the movie, which is forcing them to think about something they liked. Um, did you have a moment that just kind of like locked you into this movie? Um, um. Something like that. Uh, I always like I always like throwing this at people too because it puts them on the spot. No, no, no. It's a good question. It's a really good question. Uh, did I have a thrill house moment? Um, yeah, I, I I would say the thrill house moment for me was when he went after Cook. Um, even more so than the hotel thing. When he went Which after that hotel sequence is brutal. The the bl- hotel sequence, don't get me wrong, is brutal. Uh, you kind of saw it coming, like but okay, did... you know. But yeah, for yeah. me, but there's it... something so personal about the hook scene with the bullet. And but it it, it was just it, the thrill house moment for me was probably when he went after Cook. Uh, just like we mentioned before, um, here's uh, probably the most vile character in the entire movie. And the way the driver comes in and he just walks into this this strip club slash, you know, <laughs> a whorehouse of sorts. He just comes in and he talks to one person. She's like, oh, yeah, he's in the dressing room. Just, eh. you know, yeah. and he just comes in. And for me, you know, when he puts the bullet on his head and he's shaking, holding back, hitting the bullet into his head that. That I will say, I I liked the way Ryan Gosling played that. I I liked that whole sequence, for me, 
um, because it, it is a turning major turning for the film. You see the true nature of dry, the driver. And yeah, I would say that just the way it was shot with the colors and everything and, and the tension and yet how, how he goes from being like this homicidal guy who just wants to bury this bullet into this guy's head to call him on the phone, talk to him and go, yeah, I'll give you your million dollars. Here's what we're doing. Um, I liked that. I liked how it played out because it gave us a lot, probably the most insight to how the driver character is. Yeah, and just and I also just love the composition of it. It just feels like a like an old painting almost, where just like everyone is just kind of posed very. I just feel like every element of that scene was put there intentionally. It's, right. Just the composition of that scene is gorgeous. Um, for me, you know, it'd be very easy to say that the, that opening chase sequence because that's just money. Um, but uh, this the the kind of the 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 lock in moment for me. I have a lock in moment, and then I just have my purely just favorite scene because they're not the same. Like my lock in when I was watching it this time, that just kind of make made my ears perk up a little bit was similar to the your scene but it was actually a couple scenes prior mm-hmm. when uh after standard got the shit beat out of him by those by those gangsters and benicio gives uh driver that bullet it just kind of oh. sends shivers down your spines that the, the, these guys to send a message gave a young child a bullet and it's just it just because from that point on the movie just kind of ramps up um but my favorite scene purely favorite scene is um the um is, is is Refn essentially doing a slasher movie on the beach when Ryan Gosling's mm-hmm. wearing that creepy, almost Nicolas Cage looking mask? <laughs> it kind of looks like Nicolas Cage, um, and he's because especially because it's the first time in the movie, um, well not the first time, but it's it's a very like deliberate scene where like I imagine like when Ryan Gosling went to go kill like went to go send a message to Cook he didn't know how that how that was going to play out right. but when he went after Nino he went with intent of killing this guy mm-hmm. and just the way that scene is lit with the the lights in the background and then the the white house just swirling and the way it's just I that scene is just so sinister and it does almost kind of like what Fargo does where um when the people are killed on the side of the road of Fargo, it's just so the audience is so distant, distant from it. It makes it you kind of like feel, have this voyeuristic feel to it, as the camera's pulling away, as the driver's like drowning Nino in the ocean, and you just feel so detached from it. It just makes it scarier. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It is a, it is a slasher moment for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's just. I like how he takes out Nino. I like using the car. Very death death proof feeling in some respects. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Man, like, that'd be a weird double feature. <laughs> that that would be a weird. I mean, it'd be a fitting kind of a fitting double feature, but it'd be a weird. It would definitely Just, be. A weird it would be like tonally all over the place. It would. It would. It's like it's like stunt stuntman Bob is driver after. You know, decades of, <laughs> of doing this. This is this is what he's become. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to finish with Death Proof because it's a bit more fun. Oh yeah, no, no, no. You start with Driver, uh, with Drive, and you end with Death Proof because that mm-hmm. is that is that is the direction that. Our, our character, the driver, and it's, it's, takes. It's funny you mentioned that too because I kept thinking, "It's like, well, man, if Drive would have been made 
um, you know, in the eighties, I can definitely see Kurt Russell playing the Ryan Gosling part. Right. right. So that, that is perfect. That is perfect. It, it, it would work. I think it would work. You know, he's got a jacket. And I agree. I think, I yeah, think, they both have, <laughs> they both, have jackets. both memorable jackets. You know, I, I, I think we could, I think we could make this work to where we could have, have death proof, you know, be the, 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 the continuation of, of our driver. <laughs> I'm actually really into this idea now. now I'm gonna watch death proof. <laughs> uh, so Mark, um, yes. as you say on your, on your podcast, you know, you have the license to shill. Tell everyone about what you're up to. Tell everyone about your podcast and where people oh. can find you. I stole I stole your gimmick. Uh, you took my gimmick. That's fine. That's fine. You borrow, steal, whatever you want to do with it. Uh, <laughs> um, SpecialMarkProductions.com is where you can go, where you can find links to all my stuff. Uh, I've got link to my TikTok there, the YouTube channel. Uh, the podcast has its own pages there where you can find individual pages. You can find my interviews that I do for the podcast. I just... Uh, did one last week with a Wisconsin documentary filmmaker, uh, Justin, Justin Superstar Johnson. He's actually one of the first vloggers or considered one of the first vloggers. Um, he made a documentary called Mom and Dad's Nipple Factory, uh, which is a great, very touching documentary. But it, it's not what the title great sounds name. like, but... It is a great I, I well, catch. I'm, I, I'm sold to hear that title and hear it described as a touching documentary. Fuck, I'm in. <laughs> and I also did a recent interview with uh, Marcellus Cox, who made a very interesting indie dramatic film called Mickey Hardaway, which he actually got the finishing funds for. It. It's going to get uh, distribution and a limited theatrical release in fall. So good on him for that. Uh, this week, I'll be interviewing two filmmakers who are coming out with an anthology film that is on this festival circuit now, but it's probably not going dis- to get distro until third or fourth quarter. And the movie's called The Monster Bash. Uh, so that interview's dropping this week. We finished up our uh, podcast. It's been a light week. We finished up our podcast on uh, Skin Flicks Month. So we just finished I-, I Eat Your Skin, which will drop this week. Uh, interesting film there. Uh, next month will be Night of the Hunter. Oh, excuse me, Month of the Hunters uh, theme. We do a different theme every month. It started during COVID, and so every month, what uh, the way we have it, uh, if you'll bear with me, is each year we pick a theme for a special series. So one once a month, that uh, episode is going to be dedicated to that year long series. So like we did Cannon Fodder, where each month we did a Cannon film. Uh, and, you know, along that lines. Well, when we pick the film, we pick it at random. We've got the pool of movies that have been voted on by our listeners, and then we just randomly pick it, and then based off of the film that gets picked, the next month's theme is based off of that film. So I'm making this on the fly as we go along, trying to put these films together. Um, So that's what we got going on in the spoiler room, though, is, is that stuff coming up. Uh, yeah, my TikToks, I do one minute, literally one minute reviews of wide release films. Uh, it's impressive, I have to say. Like, I, as, as someone who tries to keep his, his videos short, which I can never do, it's quite impressive how much you fit in in a short period of time. <laughs> it's, it's probably by the way my brain is, is broken like that. But yeah, so those are fun to do. And yeah, we do other projects as well. 
I'm working this year on on possibly doing a few more projects, maybe a short film or two. We'll have to see. Uh, nothing like Mr. Uh, Vires here, but uh, <laughs> I'm looking at dabbling into that. So uh, we're coming up I'm on eight. Any help? You know, you know where to find me. <laughs> I do. Uh, we're coming up on 17 years on YouTube. So for whatever that's, that's impressive worth. Uh, but yeah, very glad. Honor to always be on someone's show. Uh, I, I humbled and honored to be here. This is a fun discussion. And yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me on again. Of course. And then with the Shameless Picture Show, you guys know where to find me at this point. As always, guys, thank you for listening. You know where to find me on the internet. Uh, if you want to throw a couple bones over at the, the Patreon, you can get our monthly Patreon show called Cages the Rage, where me and Amanda are, I say monthly, but I sometimes forget and it's not always on time. But um, we do a show called Cages the Rage, where we are working through every single Nicolas Cage movie in chronological order and then ranking them in order of ca- ranking them in order of caginess. Wow. Wow, that is that is an ambitious project. That is that is. It's going to be something we're going to be working on for a while because we want to get one, maybe one or two a month. Uh, this next episode coming up, we're going to be doing. It's going to be on the Cotton Club and uh, uh, an anti-war movie he did called Birdie. Oh yeah, so yeah, yeah, and, yeah Birdie. So we're yeah. we're 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 start we're slowly inching towards him becoming. Uh, his name is moving up and up the credits. You know, he started off strong with Valley Girl, and then he kind of moved to the bottom of the credits list, and now he's working his way back up now at this point. Uh, but as always, guys, we, we appreciate you listening, and be sure to, to keep your ears, ears peeled for the next episode. Shame time, shame place, shameless picture show. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers. Today's episode was edited by Michael Viers. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.